morning. Um, my name's Andy, and it's my joy to um, read God's Word for us this morning. So, um, as has already been said, we are starting a new series in the book of Proverbs. So, if you'd like to open up to Proverbs 1, which in the Pew Bibles can be found on page 628. I reckon if you open your Bible about halfway, you'd probably be in the right area. We're going to begin in uh, Proverbs 1, 1 to 7, and then we're going to jump to Proverbs 2, starting at verse 1. While you find your place, why don't I pray for us? Our loving uh, God and um, good Heavenly Father, we ask that as we hear from you now and as Nath um, preaches on your word and as we begin this new series that you would uh, send your spirit amongst us to do with us as he sees fit. And we pray this um, for the sake of your son, Jesus, and in his name. Amen. Uh, Proverbs 1, verse 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." And now Proverbs 2, verse 1 to 6. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. Thanks, Andy. Morning, everyone. My name is Nathan. If we haven't met before, uh, keep your fingers in the book of Proverbs. Keep that open for you. Um, It's great to hear from Andrew. It wasn't a message from afar. Look, I think it sounds delightful to be baptised in the Danube, um, and I'm sure it would be a far sight warmer this time of the year than than those who braved the July waters down in Manly Harbour yesterday. Um, We had the privilege of baptising some people from across St. Matt's yesterday, which was fantastic. Uh, There were seven who got wet, six who were baptized and then yours truly and I can attest it was brisk in the water Uh, but it was great and um, yeah we had about 40 people uh, there in support which was lovely it's a great spot um, to get baptized and it's always so encouraging um, to celebrate new life which is what we were doing Um, yeah it was great let's get started hey Let's bring these things before the Lord uh, and ask for his help as we open his word together. Father God, we thank you for uh, that demonstration of new life yesterday and the, those six brothers and sisters uh, who braved the waters in order to proclaim their faith in you. 
Um, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of a new day. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning, and we pray, Lord, now that as we gather together in your name and under your word, that you would have mercy on us, and you would speak to us exactly what it is we need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to begin uh, this morning by asking a a fairly obvious question um, to ask at the start of a series on wisdom, and it's, it's this question, what is wisdom? We're going to use this word a lot over the course of this term. It's probably helpful to, to get an understanding of what it is. But, you know, wisdom is one of those words, I reckon, that uh, can be hard to define. Yeah? Like, I think you might have a picture in your head of, of what you think it looks like or feels like, but it can be kind of hard to put it into words, exactly what it is. So, of course, I thought I'd ask my boys... They're 12, 9, and 4. One night we were at dinner a couple of weeks ago and I decided to ask them, see what they said. What is wisdom? Reuben, our eldest, was like, is this going to go in the sermon? <laughs> it's like, well, it depends on your answer, son. <laughs> so the first one to offer, offer an answer wondered whether wisdom was really just about being smart and knowing stuff. Not bad. Another one then chimed in to say, wisdom is something that you gain over time. It's something that old people have, is the way he put it. I didn't clarify if he was talking about me at that point. And then, uh, having quietly listened uh, to the other two, the third simply said, is it like the lake? Is it like the lake? We kind of sat there puzzled for a, a moment, trying to work out what he was talking about. The day before, we'd actually just gotten back from a holiday at the lake, and so we wondered whether he was kind of drawing on that experience, like the ebb and flow of the tides. So too, wisdom ebbs and flows. Or like the fish that we hadn't managed to catch, so too, wisdom is elusive, you know? (laughs) Was he trying to make up his own proverb? Maybe this was the wisest answer of the three. No. Turns out he was thinking of something called the Lake of Wisdom, which is in the Angry Birds movie. (laughs) So we cleared that one up. But it's true, wisdom is hard to define, isn't it? Hard to pin down. But I like the way that uh, a man named Gerhard von Rad captures wisdom. He was a German academic, Old Testament scholar from the middle of the last century, and he defined wisdom as this. He says, wisdom means becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. How things really happen, how things really are, and what to do about it. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? Competent with the realities of life. I like that. Living in accordance with how things really are. Now, just riffing off on Rad, here's how I'm going to summarize it. Wisdom really is about reading reality rightly. Reading reality rightly, acting according to how things really are. And so that's exactly what we're going to be looking to do together this term. What does it mean for us to live wisely? To be wise in our relationships, wise with our money, wise with our time, wise with what we love, wise with our words. 
And you know, we're going to find the answers to those questions in the ancient Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs is like the Bible's quintessential corner for wisdom, almost like a one-stop shop. And it's probably the book that first comes to mind when we start talking about wisdom and the Bible. This is also a book many of us may not have read much, if at all. Because it's a a bit of a tricky book to kind of just sit down and read through. If you've ever tried doing that, it's kind of hard to just sit down and smash your quiet times out with. That said, here's a couple of books that might help you to do that. Tim and Kathy Keller have got a year's worth of daily devotions on the book of Proverbs called The Way of Wisdom. Uh, Another author, David Murray's just released one called Proverbs, Stories of Wisdom and Folly. I reckon either of those would be great to get your hands on if you're keen to go deeper in the book of Proverbs with us this term. But something like that would be helpful because this is not a straightforward book to just kind of sit down and read. Part of what makes that tricky is there's no kind of epic historical narrative to sink your teeth into. There's no kind of unfolding story to follow. There's not even any kind of chunky arguments to sit down and unpack. In fact, there are very few passages in the book of Proverbs at all. Over two-thirds of this book is made up of a collection of Proverbs. Fancy that. And a proverb is really just a a short, pithy saying that's, that's trying to capture and condense the truth, reality. So there's not a whole lot of flow through the book. So for today, we're going to spend some time thinking about really where we're headed in this book, this term, kind of like spreading out a blanket when you finally find that right spot for a picnic in the park. This is our blanket, our spot for the next nine weeks. And what is it that we need to know before we get stuck into this wisdom banquet together? Well, three things. We're going to start with what it means to read wisdom well. We're going to consider the question, where does the path to wisdom begin? And we'll finish by thinking about living wisdom and what we mean by that. Reading wisdom, beginning wisdom, and living wisdom. All right then, what is the book of Proverbs? And how do we approach it? Well, the first thing to get clear is that this is wisdom literature, right? Not something else. And what I mean by that is the genre is wisdom, which lends Proverbs a particular flavor and style. And it's really important to understand as we come to try to unpack it. As I said, this isn't a story with characters for us to root for. It's not grand sweeping prophecy that God is speaking against his people, Israel. This is a collection of of over 800, 800 different proverbs. And each one of them, every single one of these 800 proverbs is answering the same question. What does it look like to live well in this world? It's basically like a much wiser version of Instagram, (laughs) Two-thirds of what gets posted to Instagram these these days is basically our culture's attempt to try to capture what it looks like to live well. What's the answer to that? Well, it's mountain vistas. It's fruity little cocktail drinks. It's hitting the gym. It's going to fancy restaurants. It's taking selfies with sunglasses on. (laughs) That's living well in the Western world. 
according to Instagram. That makes up like two-thirds of what people post. The rest just seems to be dominated by cats and babies. So there you go. But, you know, in a similar kind of way, Proverbs engages with the totality of everyday life, right? The nitty-gritty. It tackles wide-ranging topics from work to marriage to parenting, covers our language, the way we speak, our friendships, our procrastination, our overeating, overdrinking, and overspending. There's even some advice in there on animal husbandry, which is probably not quite the same as posting cat photos. Who wrote Proverbs? Well, there's a number of different authors, contributors, but the most prominent was a guy called King Solomon. King Solomon. Hopefully he actually caught that the very start of our reading. 1 verse 1, we've got it laid out there for us, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For those not familiar, Solomon was Israel's third ever king, the son of King David, of Goliath fame. And apart from being responsible for building Israel's first temple, Solomon is also best known for his wisdom. So in 1 Kings chapter 4, we read these words. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Wow. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. Pretty impressive, right? This is, this is a wise guy. In fact, that tells us he's the wisest of guys, in fact, because God had blessed him with unmatched wisdom. This book is his wisdom, or at least some of it. And so I'd say that probably means this is worth us paying attention to. Also worth paying attention to is this very important this very important truth. Proverbs are creation principles. They're not the creator's promises. They're creation principles, not the creator's promises. Remember Von Rad's definition, wisdom involves reading reality rightly. It's about drawing observations from the way that creation operates, the, God, the way that God set up the world to be, it means running with the grain of reality. And so the Proverbs offer us principles that try to capture aspects of how life usually happens. How life usually happens. That is very different to how promises operate though, isn't it? Especially when it's God who's doing the promising. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing usually about God's promises, is there? So when Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 8 that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Paul's not saying there's usually no condemnation. He's saying never again, for always and forever, no ifs, ands, or buts. Friends, our God is never in the habit of usually keeping his promises. He always does. 
They're ironclad, set in stone, dead certainties. But that's not the case when it comes to a proverb. They're not a promise of what will always happen. They're principles capturing what usually happens when your life runs with the grain of reality. Okay? The last thing to keep in mind about how to read Proverbs is that this is a book that offers us cumulative wisdom, not fortune cookies for our problems. Because there's like 800 different Proverbs in the book, the temptation can be for us to really just cherry pick the ones that we like. You know, as you're flicking through, it's like, oh, there's one on money. That sounds good. Oh, one verse eight. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. I like that one. I'm going to print that out and put it up in the kids' room. The problem, of course, with, with the kind of the buffet or cookie, uh, the fortune cookie approach, kind of the picking and choosing, is that you run the risk of, of really missing too much. See, by its very nature, a proverb has to leave stuff out. It has to. So Proverbs is actually a much wiser version of, of like, Twitter. When Twitter first started, you only had 140 characters to say something profound, which, let's be honest, rarely happened. 140 characters, though, is not much room to work with. Today, Twitter's like 70% of people just yelling at each other, getting into arguments, right? And I think that's actually in part because it's impossible. It's impossible to capture the whole truth of something in just the space of a tweet. But if you think a, a tweet is brief, in the original language, in Hebrew, each proverb only averages between six and eight words in length. Like, that's brief. That's brief, right? And so you see the problem. If, if wisdom is, is about reading reality rightly, getting a handle on how things really are, you can't possibly capture reality in just a handful of sayings, can you? No single proverb has a monopoly on wisdom. No single proverb even has a monopoly on the topic that it's talking about. Each one actually contributes to a, a much larger picture. So the wisest way to read Proverbs is slowly, cumulatively, and widely. We've got to actually resist the temptation of just treating it like fortune cookies for our problems. When it comes to reading wisdom, we need to recognize the genre. We need to remember that these are creation principles. They're not creator promises, and we need to to digest them widely rather than just picking and choosing from the wisdom buffet, okay? Well, now we've got the basics down on reading wisdom. Where does wisdom begin? Where does it start? Now, thankfully, it only takes seven verses into the book for us to get an answer to that question. Take a look at verse 7. What does it say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom, we're told, begins with fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord. Fear of the Lord, that, that phrase is probably the most important phrase throughout all the wisdom literature in the Bible. Most important. It appears here in the book of Proverbs 14 different times, 
And the first question I'm sure most of us will have is, what on earth does that mean? Fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? We often stumble on this phrase, particularly because of that word fear and the negative connotations that we have with that word. We associate it with like terror, don't we? Something that might trigger our fight or flight response. How on earth would that be something that we would want to have for God? That's a fair enough question, right? Well, earlier this year, we spent a whole term unpacking what it means to love the Lord with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength, to love Him. Well, how, how, how does our love of God fit with our fear of Him? How do you put those two things together? I mean, it's a fair enough question for us to ask. Interestingly, though, it's not a question the Bible's concerned with. For instance, have you take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. We read these words. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him. There's no contradiction between love and fear. And that's because the fear that it's talking about in relation to God is not so much a sheer terror, rather it's, it's an awe-filled, reverent humility. Or, as I like to put it, it's a trustful trembling. A trustful trembling. It's a fear that actually, instead of making you run from God, it draws you closer to Him. It's a little bit like the time that that Belle and I had the privilege of taking a helicopter tour over New York City. Uh, We spent a few days there at the start of this year and a friend who we were visiting actually gifted us tickets onto this helicopter and it just so happened to be on the most gorgeous day as the sun was setting over the city and the helicopter had no doors on it. You can see that there. No doors on the helicopter. It was about as wild as it sounds. And it was, it was a real strange mix of emotions. If you've ever done something like that before, you'll know what I'm talking about. Because on the, on the one hand, you're 600 metres above street level in a very well-ventilated helicopter. And because it's got no doors, you can literally lean out and look straight down. It's white-knuckle stuff, heart in your mouth, right? And all that is keeping you from tumbling out of this thing are two seatbelts. That's it. And in fact, because of safety reasons, I have, you have to have, be able to have control over your own seatbelts in case the helicopter crashes in the Hudson River. You've got to be able to get out. So at any point, I actually could have unbuckled myself in my seat. Do you think I did that? <laughs> no, of course not. Why? I asked that question at eight. Someone said, wisdom. (laughs) Yes, it was actually because of fear. Because it was my fear of falling out. I didn't unbuckle myself. Um, Of course I didn't. It's the humility of knowing that I was really just mere centimeters from death the entire flight. I kept myself buckled in. So there was definitely trembling. And yet, the moment you see the city from the air, it's something else. It's something else. And then Central Park, 
They call that a shoe selfie because you can literally like stick your legs out of the helicopter. The Brooklyn Bridge, like it, it was astounding. Getting to watch the sun setting over the Statue of Liberty, it's like captivated by breathless wonder, right, the whole time. It's funny, Belle hates heights, like hates heights, um, and so she was, to say that she was scared about going up is like a massive understatement. She was actually worried about losing her lunch, which when there's no doors on the helicopter would have been spectacular. <laughs> but as, as, as fearful as she was, here's what her fear looked like when she was up there. Because you see, the reality was, you're up there with that view, and, and I was the same, there's just this awe-filled delight that pours out of you at just how mind-blowing the view is and how blessed you are to be seeing the, the, the city from this angle. And, and you're totally still trembling, right, the whole time. But it's not just because of the danger, it's also now because of the joy. The risks remain, but man, you're also captivated by just the majesty of the moment. And I think that goes some ways towards capturing what Proverbs means by fear of the Lord. Trustful trembling, awe-filled, reverent humility. It's when we come to that simple yet profoundly important realization that there is a God and it's not me. This is his creation, it's not mine. I don't set the measure for, for what's right or wrong or for what's good or bad. He does. I'm not worthy of glory or worship, but he is. He really is. There is a God and it's not me. That's the, the what of fearing the Lord, but what about the why? Why is fear as in and 1 verse 7 tells us the beginning of wisdom. Well, remember our definition of wisdom, right? Reading reality rightly. What is the reality? Well, of course, the reality is that God reigns. He's on the throne, whether we acknowledge that or not. And so when we, when we don't have that fear of the Lord, whether that's either because we're denying His existence or because we're just denying his relevance to our lives, when we do that, we're actually not living in accordance with reality, are we? With how things really are. In fact, we're doing life in a fantasy land. We're operating out of a fabrication of our, of our own imaginings. I'm not making light of that. It's, it's a very serious thing. It's tragic. And as well-intentioned and good-natured as it may be, Proverbs describes it as utter folly and foolishness. The exact opposite of wisdom. And that's not to say that we can't know anything unless we first fear the Lord. Of course not. But it does mean that there is a ceiling to your understanding. There's a hard limit. And there has to be, right? Because you're missing the fundamental building block of reality, that there really is a God, and it's not me. 
Without faith in God, writes Tim Keller, even the most sophisticated and diligent thinker is going to leave out too much of reality to be genuinely wise about it. Why should we even trust our own thoughts and intuitions if they omit the one who created the fabric of the universe and holds it together? Friends, would you consider yourself to be a wise person, I wonder? How would you know if you were? What do you base that on? Well, it starts with fear, we're told. Do you fear the Lord? Have you got that trustful trembling? What place does he hold in your life? Is it God who's captivated your heart more than anything else? Because living wisely begins with trustful trembling. And that brings us to the final stop on today's journey. As we begin the book of Proverbs together, what, what, do, we, what do we mean when we say living wisdom? That's what we've called the series, right? Well, in chapter 2, the second reading, um, just have it open as well. I wonder if you noticed how active it is. Like, it's really active. From the very first verse, there's, there's a whole lot of actions that get described, right? You've got accept, store up, turn your ear, apply, call out, cry aloud, look and search the very least, that should tell you that wisdom is not something that's just going to fall out of the sky and land on your lap, right? Wisdom is cultivated and acquired over time. Not by accident, but actually through patient, diligent, hard work. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The activeness of wisdom is going to be something we keep talking about throughout this term. If you want to be wise, you've got to be ready to get stuck in. As we've already said, these aren't just a bunch of of fortune cookies that we get to break open and stick up next to our bed. The book of Proverbs is far more like like a wide sweeping field that is just bursting with ripe crops, right? Bursting with ripe crops waiting to be harvested and enjoyed. And it's going to take some time. It's going to take some toil but the fruit is going to be sweet. So expect to have to roll up your sleeves, expect to get sweaty, because wisdom is more than knowledge. It must be practiced, it has to be lived out. It's living wisdom. It's funny though, despite all the activity that we see in the first four verses of chapter two, wisdom is neither earned nor deserved It's neither earned nor deserved. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's a gift to us given by the Lord right there in verse 6. Take a quick look. What does it tell us? The Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Isn't that interesting? You know what that means? Wisdom is bound up with God's grace, with his grace to us. It comes from his mouth. And then, a thousand years after the reign of King Solomon, after these words were written, John's gospel opens with this stunning revelation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As an act of God's grace, from the mouth of the Lord, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is wisdom incarnate. He is living wisdom. He is the ultimate sage. He is the supreme wisdom teacher. Wisdom is a key feature of his public ministry. And so we read in Mark's gospel that he taught with a wisdom and authority that left people amazed. We're told in Luke, we hear him declare that now something greater than Solomon has arrived. He's pointing at himself. By the end of his epic sermon on the mount, Jesus concludes by saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And then ultimately and supremely, Jesus confounds the wisdom of the world by doing what? By being a savior who who allows himself to be crucified and then by rising from the dead three days later. Friends, Jesus defines what truly wise is, for he is wisdom incarnate. He not only teaches us wisdom, but he lives it out for us in all of its fullness. And so as we go on the journey for wisdom together this term, look no further than Jesus. As we seek to live the Proverbs-driven life, we are in fact striving to live just like him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you, Lord, that you don't keep it to yourself, but you share it with us. Thank you for giving it to us in the book of Proverbs. We thank you for the chance we're going to get this term to wrestle with it. We pray, Lord, that we would have the humility, the appropriate fear of you to be able to hear these words well, not just know things, but to be able to live it out, to be able to be those who live wisdom out. Lord, we thank you most of all for your son, of course, who is living wisdom himself. And we pray, Father, that as we read these ancient words in the book of Proverbs, ultimately we would see him as living wisdom, as the one who lived the wise life, for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.